Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. This is your money. I'm Michelle Martin. Good morning. Asia Pacific markets are trading lower this morning on the back of overnight losses on Wall Street. So, what's behind the sell off? We're going to get to that soon. But first up, welcome, Ryan Huang. Good morning. Happy Friday, Michelle. And to you. We start this morning in the world of gaming and integrated resorts where it appears revenge tourism and the resurgent mice industry has translated into strong earnings for our local gaming giant Marina Bay Sands as well as its parent company Las Vegas Sands. MBS netted $1 billion US dollars in the third quarter of the year. That's nearly 35% higher than a year earlier. So what does this mean for MBS's expansion plans, Ryan's listeners, you might recall that before the pandemic hit, MBS had announced its plans. It wanted to build a fourth hotel tower, a 15,000-seat indoor arena, new exhibition facilities as well. COVID-19 put a stop to that. But now that business is back, should we start to expect construction to happen anytime soon? Yeah, sooner Rather than later, with all the good news and numbers coming in, it does support the level of confidence that they can go ahead to start to accelerate those plans and start on Tower 3 and a revamp of some of the stuff that they've been trying to improve. So just to give you an overview of what's going to be happening, you've got an expansion plan for the IR and that includes a new hotel tower, which is Tower 3, 1,000 rooms and suites, Mice facilities um, as well, and a 15,000-seat arena, also a rooftop swimming pool. Mm. So all that part of the new rejig, and also part of the rejig is the space around the other existing towers, uh, a bit of a, an, an upgrade. So on the conference call, I thought it was interesting to see MBS uh, or Las Vegas Sands acknowledging with the comment that previously some, what they describe as room product at Marina Bay Sands Mm -hmm. had been lacking, both from a size perspective, but also from a finish perspective. So he seems to be taking on board some feedback that there was room for improvement and they will be improving on those things in the upgrade. Yeah, it sounds to me like they expect, and they've said, I believe, that expansion will drive more high-value tourism to Singapore. So we'll keep an eye on MBS's construction plans. In the meantime, do you know how much a room at MBS costs? I'll give you a moment. Think about it. Chew on it. A year ago, the average daily rate was about 500 US dollars a night. Now it is more than 680 US dollars a night. That's 930 Singapore dollars a night. Still amazing. Okay, let's take a look at how Las Vegas Sands shares are doing. They finish off their highs, but still finish up nearly 3% on a day when the overall markets were bearish. Investors are not simply cheering the return of gamers to the table. What is attracting their interest? Yeah, so you've got um, the potential for more stock buybacks happening. So this comes after a three-year hiatus. Mm. And that's going to be good news because signals the management's confidence in the business after years of hardship from the pandemic. And it does look like, you know, you have the board of directors putting their money where their mouth is in terms of 
approving those buybacks to the tune of $2 billion. And this will last through till 2025. So for a shareholder, that's good news uh, because it will support share prices. And this is off the back of what I've been outlining, perhaps better times ahead. So it's seeing value to get in now. And if you look at the potential, if you look at some of the travel figures, the China market has not fully returned and already you are seeing some rebound in the fortunes of Las Vegas Sands operations in Singapore. Imagine Mm -hmm. when they fully come back. So it's promising times ahead. Promising times indeed, also signaled by the fact that Las Vegas Sands is joining a growing number of companies that are announcing share buybacks. In fact, some analysts say the biggest buyers of stocks in 2024 will be companies purchasing their own shares or, as Stephen Innes puts it, stocks buying stocks. All right, one more gaming question for you. Before the pandemic, Macau was the world's gaming capital. More dollars were spent in Macau's casinos than anywhere else. China's COVID-0 policy put an end to that. So I'm wondering which market is currently more important to Las Mm. Vegas Sands. Is it Singapore or Macau? Yeah, that's a good question, right? So Macau for quite some time has been the go-to place um, at some stage exceeding Las Vegas. And then, of course, Singapore came into the scene and then posed some competition. Uh, but it does look like Macau is gaining quite a bit of traction these days because of its proximity to China. So for Chinese tourists, it is an easier destination to get to. So it does look like Macau is getting some momentum on that front. And like you pointed out, restrictions uh, have been lifted recently. So that's helping Macau to some extent. So this is going to mean punters flocking back to Macau, which is newly opened. So I suppose with a reopening, there are going to be new promotions, new refresh attractions as well. So I suppose in Macau, you've got the likes of um, some of these familiar properties of Venetian and the Londoner and so on. So they are looking forward to a Chinese crowd coming back. And Mm. if you look at the Golden Week holiday, there were already signs of this happening. There was a huge rebound in Chinese travellers going back to Macau. Saw a lot of Chinese travellers myself around Europe. Next up this morning, we turn to one of Singapore's most important infrastructure companies, Keppel Corp. Singapore-listed companies are not required to report third-quarter results, but Keppel has released some numbers which indicate net profits in three major sectors, infrastructure, real estate and connectivity. They're all growing. So fill us in, what is the latest? Yeah, it's going to be a good weekend for those folks at Keppel reporting a pretty good report card. And if you look at what's helping the business, pretty much everything. So all three major segments of the business doing well. So we are talking about infrastructure, real estate, and connectivity, all of them registered improvements. So just diving into the overall picture now for continuing operations for the nine months to September 30th, that was up 5% to $5.27 billion, and notably driven by infrastructure and connectivity. And if you look at some of the bright spots again, real estate has been expanding its footprint in Australia with a bit of a shopping spree of assets in Sydney. So you've got a lot playing out well for Capo. So overall, Capo seems to be building on uh, results that have been pretty good so far this year. 
Keppel has also been selling off its assets. It's all part of what it calls its Vision 2030 strategy to refocus its portfolio. How has this strategy been going? Yeah, so it's dubbed the Asset Monetization Program. So it is trying to, in some sense, streamline its operations and try to monetize assets. So Mm -hmm. around $865 million of assets so far have been so-called monetized, or at least they've announced that that would be the case, including the $323 million worth of dividend in specie of capital REIT units. So all in, this raises capital's total monetization to $5.3 billion. So that outperforms the 3 to $5 billion three-year target already set some two years back. So company is now working towards a new target, its next target, achieving a cumulative 10 to $12 billion in, in asset monetization by the end of 2026. So all in, its results already surpass its earlier targets. Its asset monetization also surpasses earlier targets. Mm-hmm. So it's got to shift the goalposts a bit and try to aim even higher now. Looks like they're trying just for that. Uh, Keppel raised $1 billion in equity during the first nine months of the year. It also made new acquisitions worth even more than that, spending $1.7 billion. Now, of particular note to investors will be Keppel's dividend payments. It now expects its year-end dividend payout to hit $2.70 a share. Keppel's share price, meanwhile, has come under selling pressure recently. They are down 10% over the past three months. I'm going to bring the conversation to the U.S. now, investors there sold off overnight. The Nasdaq fell nearly 1%. The S&P 500 and Dow were not far behind. Stocks are coming under pressure from the bond market, where rapidly rising yields have been squeezing Wall Street for several months now. Overnight, the yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury note touched 4.99%, so just a smidge shy of 5%, which is a key level. Help us understand why investors are fixated on 5%. Yeah, when it comes to rates, these are typically what banks reference, how much they price their loans, how much people borrow their monies. So the common go-to is the 10-year treasury yield as a reference. So when you look at 5%, it starts to raise a question. Is that worth it to put your money into bonds Mm. or into stocks? Because typically when you look at dividend yields, uh, that's where many of these um, stocks are returning in terms of um, dividend use. So that is the, I I suppose, turning point for that decision. Where is the value when you want to pocket money and the risk-to-reward ratio in that sense? So 5% is that significant milestone for many reasons. So as it goes up higher, it becomes more appealing compared to stocks and that could then pose headwinds for stocks. And of course, as it goes higher, your borrowing rates will go up higher and then that can have an impact on your property purchases as well and of course the property sector. Mm. So implications in many fronts as um, these treasury yields um, continue to climb. And the other factor is how fast it climbs because if it goes up too fast, there can be a shock to the system as well. So there are a couple of factors here why people are watching this very closely. New economic data also came out overnight that showed that the U.S. economy is still quite strong. Jobless claims in September dropped to less than 200,000, and that, by the way, is their lowest level since January. U.S. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell also spoke up overnight about the state of the U.S. economy and interest rates. What is his message to investors? (laughs) 
it's actually quite tough to read into his message because it seemed to be quite mixed. On one hand, um, in the initial uh, phases of his speech, people yeah. were saying, hey, he's sounding quite dovish. Hmm. And then the tune started to turn and then he kind of talked about how inflation is you know, still high. And that might then suggest, of course, the need for rates to stay higher for longer to address those inflationary fears. And then he left the door open as well for more rate hikes if needed. So it was a bit of a vague commitment that, hey, we might need to do this, but at the same time, we might need to do that. So leaving himself enough wiggle room Mm -hmm. to keep investors guessing. And I think that's part of the job. You don't want to overly commit too much to one direction but at the same time you don't want people to to um, guess what you'll be able to do and I guess give himself enough room to backpedal if he needs. All we have is the data to go by. So one sign that higher interest rates are having their desired effect can be found in the latest housing data. U.S. home sales fell in September as rising mortgages discouraged buyers. So one clear data point there. The rest of the time we're sort of feeling our way around uh, when it comes to Jerome Powell. Time now for corporate news and we do it up or down style. Let's start with TSMC. That's Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing. All right, TSMC. The biggest chip contract maker is down for me. And this comes as it reports quite a well, poor report card. Revenue was down 10.9% or 10.8% from a year ago. Mm-hmm. And you've got net income dropping nearly 25%. So this is being dragged down by a slump in consumer electronics demand. We've been talking about this for quite some time. It's yeah. not as good as the pandemic years. So that's having a bit of a basic fact play here for TSMC. It is seeing some bright spots as it tries to ramp up its newer technology chips, so, but not enough yet to offset the slump in demand. Yeah, TSMC is reporting its biggest drop in profits in nearly five years. All right, let's look at Nestle. Yesterday, we talked about how P&G is weathering inflation well. What do we know about whether or not consumers are willing to pay more for Nestle's products? Are you a fan of Kit Kat? Always. All right, so that's going to help the fortunes of Nestle, but are you willing to pay more for your Kit Kat? Because Nestle's prices have gone up by 8.4%. So some customers are already balking at those figures, those um, higher price tags and turning away from buying snacks like Kit Kat. So that has actually seen uh, a bit of a drop in volume for Nestle. Mm -mm. So now, like I think some of the consumer companies, they are facing this question. How much more can they pass on rising costs. And for Nestle, this could be the turning point because you are seeing a drop in sales volume of 0.6%. So not as bad because it managed to raise prices by 8.4%. So it has managed to do well on that front, increasing revenue. Uh, So if you look at the figures for the nine months, it does disappoint expectations um, coupled with the, I guess, drop in transaction volumes I am going to 
put it down for Nestle. I'll join you with that. I mean, chocolate, the demand for chocolate is inelastic in my house, but there's so many options when it comes to beverages um, and, and sweet treats as well. So consumers seem to be willing to pay more for detergents and other fast-moving consumer goods, but the same does not appear to be true for products like Milo uh, or Nescafe or Kit Kat. So Nestle sales estimates for the first three quarters of the year are down. So that's that's my call for Nestle today. Let's look at the Malaysian Ringgit. All right, the Ringgit, I think for most of us in Singapore will be quite familiar, has been under pressure for quite some time, which has resulted in us being able to enjoy um, some cost savings shopping across the causeway. And no surprise that I'm going down here because the Ringgit is continuing to be under pressure. It's fallen to its lowest levels mm. since 1997, which Gosh. was when we had the Asian financial crisis. Not helping is the fact that the US dollar has been climbing. So if you put it you know, side by side, that is going to mean pressure. If you put it in the view of how we could see even more rate hikes down the road, then you could see more pressure on the ringgit. And if you look at the recent Malaysian budget, with all the spending that could happen, then you could see more pressure as well on the ringgit. So does not look very promising for the near term. No wonder I've heard so many people talk about paying a visit to Malaysia recently. Look at that. The ringgit has fallen to a 25-year low vis-a-vis the US dollar, currently trading at 4.78 to the greenback. The fall tempered a bit in Singapore dollar terms. The Sing dollar has also been weakening against the greenback. One Sing dollar currently buys about 3.4 to 3.5 Malaysian ringgit. All right, let's look at ST Engineering. All right, I am going up because it's managed to win a contract in Abu Dhabi. So it's going to be part of a consortium to build an integrated transport management platform. So pretty good contract um, as it goes into the Middle East. So this is going to be an up for me for ST Engineering. Yeah, Abu Dhabi has ordered some fleets as well for their uh, national carrier. I think they are looking to sort of set themselves up as a new transport hub Mm. for the region. Let's bring the conversation back to local markets now. A local company that focuses on skincare, they're called NYX Professional. They're set to go public next week. NYX has more than 200 branded products as well as three clinics that offer aesthetics and dermatology services and it's set to raise funds on the Catalyst Board. Tell us about this listing. Yeah, so it's quite interesting to see how the Catalyst Board has been attracting quite a bit of interest these days, more Catalyst listings. And this is where I've got the skincare provider, Nick's Professional, looking to raise $5 million. And also worth noting, it's eyeing the China market for growth. So it does look like appetite is, to some extent, returning for listings. Uh, Interestingly, Interestingly, more on the catalyst than the main board as well. So smaller companies seem to be finding well, greener pastures overseas. Hmm, interesting to see what startups are doing here in Singapore. Applications for the Nix IPO close on Wednesday and Nix Professional is set to start trading on Friday. And for our last word, let's all go to the movies. We've talked on this show about the success of Barbie and Oppenheimer, not just in the US, but in global theatres as well. And today I'm going to turn to India, where these two movies are also driving theatre profits. But it's not just all Barbie and Oppenheimer that's pulling in the crowds in India. Of course, I'd be surprised if it was. Uh, Some new Bollywood favourites are also drawing film goers. Top of the charts in India, a film called 
Jawan, and it stars the iconic Shah Rukh Khan. It's a thriller, and some say it's Shah Rukh Khan's best movie oh. ever. Best movie ever is quite acclaim. He's <laughs> already done so much good work. So this has to really blow it out of the park. Um, and I've been noticing as well, on Netflix, there are a lot more um, Indian movies and features. So mm. there is a growing, I guess, appreciation for these uh, films. Yeah, I love how Netflix makes discovery for regional hits available to us all. You know, it's a great deal of fun. Fingers in the US were combining, uh, film goes <laughs> were combining Barbie and Oppenheimer. Remember Barbenheimer? Mm. I wonder if they're going to be big combos with Jawan or other Bollywood Crossovers. Hits. Yeah, yeah that could be know. interesting. <laughs> Alright, this is Market View. I'm Michelle Martin. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.